This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob? Uh, and I write uh, a handful of blogs, uh, Legal Blog Watch on Law.com and Law Sites on LegalLine.com. Well, Bob, today we're going to be updating people on what's going on with the Vioxx litigation. As many know, there are thousands of lawsuits against Merck Pharmaceutical with regard to the drug Vioxx, a plaintiff's claim caused heart attacks. Merck has won the first case to be tried here in California. A Los Angeles County jury found the company not responsible for the heart attack of a 71-year-old man who took Vioxx off and on since 1999. Yeah, but it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride uh, this month for, for both parties to the case. A, a federal jury in New Orleans earlier this month found Merck negligent and uh, finding that the drug maker misrepresented the risks of the arthritis painkiller and ordered the drug maker to pay $51 million to a 61-year-old heart attack victim. Uh, but then last week, the uh, judge in that case, Eldon Fallon, ruled that the $50 million in compensatory damages were grossly excessive. Uh, Judge Fallon upheld the verdict, finding Merck liable in the case, but he said that a new trial must be held to decide how much the manufacturer must pay the retired FBI agent who suffered a heart attack in 2002 after taking the painkiller for two and a half years. And in New Jersey, a state court judge overturned a November verdict favoring Merck. Uh, the, the judge in that case found that Merck had withheld pertinent information. Uh, and Merck said it would appeal the New Orleans verdict and is considering its options in the New Jersey case. Well, today we've got two impressive guests to discuss the Vioxx litigation, so let's get right to them. Two attorneys representing Vioxx plaintiffs, attorney Tom Girardi of the well-known Girardi Keys in Los Angeles. Tom has been involved in many important cases of product liability, environmental and toxic torts, among others. You'll remember his case against Pacific Gas and Electric, where the residents of Hinkley, California, were awarded $333 million, made famous by the movie Aaron Brockovich. Tom recently represented the plaintiff in the California Vioxx trial. Welcome, Tom. Hey, uh, nice talking to you, uh, you two guys. Nice to be on your show. And also with us today is attorney Paul Sizemore from the national firm Beasley Allen, located in Montgomery, Alabama. Beasley Allen has some 7,000 Vioxx cases, and Paul worked with Tom Girardi on the California case. Uh, Paul's colleague Andy Birchfield was plaintiff's counsel in the recent New Orleans case, and Paul himself is an expert, leading counsel in cases involving COX-2 inhibitor drugs such as Vioxx, Celebrex, and Bextra. Welcome to the show, Paul. Bob and Craig, thanks for having me. Well, Bob, we were going to have two Merck attorneys who agreed to be on the show last week, but when that ruling in New Orleans came down, Merck's PR rep asked us to reschedule the show, which we did, so they could study the ruling. But then the PR rep canceled for today's show. We've been told they will join us after the upcoming Vioxx trial that begins on September the 11th. But we were able to find a, a comment in the Merck press release on their website about last week's ruling. And so, in deference to them not being here, we're going to go ahead and just read it said Phil Beck of Bartlett Beck, Merck's outside counsel, issued the following statement. We are pleased the court agreed that the compensatory damages awarded were excessive and bore no relationship to the evidence presented in the trial 
and that the court overturned the punitive damages as well. Within the next several days, we will be filing a motion requesting that a new trial also include all liability issues. Whatever the scope of the new trial, we look forward to presenting our evidence to the new jury. We wish the Merck attorneys, you know, that's the end of the quote, um, we wish the Merck attorneys were on the show to speak for themselves, but we did as much due diligence as we could to make that happen, and even as late as yesterday with last-minute requests. Well, uh, let's let's get to those guests who who have appeared on our show and uh, get the discussion going with them. And I'd I'd like to start by asking each of you, as I as I suggested to an outside observer, uh, it looks a little bit like a roller coaster ride over the last month uh, with some ups and downs for both sides. But but what's your take on on what happened last week? You know, um, this Tom, what happened last week? Uh, we think is uh, was very positive. First of all, uh, $50 million uh, for the injuries in the case, I think, would probably be excessive, according to most, most judges would look at that. Uh, further, it would make life very difficult for plaintiff's lawyers ever to settle a case. If one person got $50 million, and all of a sudden now a plaintiff lawyer is recommending 5 or $6 million or $10 million to a plaintiff, the plaintiff wants to know where the other $40 million would be. So in certain respects, very high verdicts like that are a problem for both sides of the aisle, for the plaintiff side and the defense side. But the important aspect of this case, and the thing that generated the $50 million, without a doubt, was the feeling of the jury that the evidence against Merck was so bad. This was not just somebody dropped a stitch and, oh my goodness, we had a little problem. But the evidence here truly showed that Merck uh, knew about the problem, didn't care about the problem, and hence the reason for the punitive damage finding as well as the compensatory finding. In short, however, this verdict is a real problem for Merck because this very esteemed federal judge kept in place the fact that Merck concealed evidence, that Merck, uh, in fact, was negligent, that Merck, in fact, uh, was guilty of wrongdoing that would uh, warrant punitive damages. So although the judge took away the punitives, uh, what happens, the punitives have to bear a reasonable res- uh, response to the compensatory damages, and since the compensatory damages have to be retried, so then would be the punitive damages. But all in all, this was a very bad day for Merck, and I think it foretells how jurors, uh, even in a somewhat conservative jurisdiction, are beginning to look at the evidence. Well, I saw an article by Mark Robinson, not by him, but quoting Mark Robinson, the uh, uh, lawyer representing Barnett, saying that this is an opportunity for even uh, seeking even larger punitive damage award. Absolutely. This, this is Paul speaking. And my partner, Andy Birchfield, had an opportunity to try that case with Mark, and we see this, and I agree with Tom, as a very favorable development. The uh, first case that... I actually tried with uh, or against Mr. Beck, uh, who I wish would have showed up today. I'd like to hear his input on this as well. Uh, went for the defense. This is uh, the second trial now that we've had in the MDL in, in, in a uh, area which I think all of us recognize has really suffered over the past year. The MDL is centered in New Orleans, and frankly, the, the uh, constituents in New Orleans have better things to do than to sit in trial for three weeks and hear cases. So we were concerned about the uh, jury pool, but I agree with Tom again that the jury 
uh, and this is part of the, the uh, actual verdict that is standing at this point in time, too. That jury was so angry at, at Merck, not only in injuring Mr. Barnett, but in the ac- activities and behavior that they engaged in, that they felt that a, ju- that a, a verdict of that size was warranted. And I want to explain a little bit about exactly what Judge Fallon did in issuing this order. He did not overturn the verdict itself. So the verdict stands, the liability portion of that case, and the liability verdict stands as we sit here today. What will be tried in January or February over a six-day period is the actual damages associated with the injury to Mr. Barnett. And part of this problem arose as a a result of an actual motion filed by Merck, which sought bifurcation or an actual two-part aspect to the trial where damages uh, relating to compensatory damages are heard at one portion of the trial, and then if a compensatory verdict is returned, then punitive damages are heard at a later point in time. The jury in New Orleans in the Barnett case was not instructed that the compensatory aspect only was to be awarded in the first part of of the damage phase. So we suspect that uh, they wanted to award compensatory damages and also to punish Merck for their bad behavior in that first part of the case. That's why the uh, jury verdict for a a gentleman who thankfully has made a a, a decent recovery from a very significant event and who was a fairly young gentleman to have suffered a heart attack was very high in our opinion. And the judge did indicate that he would be uh, uh, would be willing to reduce that verdict, but we do want to point out that the verdict itself has not been vacated. The only portion that has been vacated is the damages, and that issue will be retried over a six-day period in January or February. What are the differences between the New Orleans case and the uh, California case? Well, uh, there's a real good difference uh, in that uh, the person in New Orleans uh, took Vioxx. Uh, whereas the person in California had a very sporadic um, use of the drug over a several-year period and maybe took as few as, you know, 40 pills or something like that uh, two years before or three years before a heart attack. So the the California case, and as a matter of fact, in talking to the jurors uh, after the verdict, uh, they felt the same really, as the New Orleans people did to a great extent in terms of Merck's concealment, et cetera. But they found no causation whatsoever between the man's heart attack and his, and his taking Vioxx, which really was more of not taking Vioxx. This particular case was selected by the defense uh, because the causation issue was so overwhelming. We were supposed to try two other cases along with it, uh, which were selected by the plaintiffs of of cases with a substantial amount of of a Vioxx intake and substantial damages. Uh, for various reasons, both those cases eventually got severed right before trial, and therefore we just tried the one case. So the California verdict, matter of fact, the, our view is that the jury did the right thing in the California case. And it wasn't that uh, Merck was absolved from bad conduct. It was simply that the jurors very seriously took the issue that you got to take the darn Vioxx if you're going to claim the Vioxx caused the heart attack. I wonder if we could turn for a second to Judge Higby's decision in in, uh, New Jersey uh, where she uh, ruled that Merck had uh, 
well, that, that evidence uncovered since a, a verdict in Merck's favor in November uh, indicated that Merck had withheld information show, showing that, that heart attacks could come with the use of Vioxx uh, for shorter periods of time than, than, than had been thought. Uh, what's the significance of that in terms of uh, the, the rest of the cases, not just the New Jersey case, but elsewhere? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Judge Higby has been uh, at the forefront of these cases now for several years and has probably the first or second largest inventory of cases uh, across the country. She, probably better than any judge, understands the science and the documentation and the studies involved in the uh, the uh, Vioxx uh, uh, realm better than any judge because she's been involved in it for so long. And if you look at her order, what she's really saying is that Merck's main defense, and it continues to this day, this 18-month litigation hypothesis where problems with the drug, especially heart attacks, do not occur, according to Merck, until after 18 months of consistent, and by that they mean day-to-day, usage of Vioxx. Judge Higby allowed that type of testimony in the first trial, which was uh, the Humiston trial that was tried there in Atlantic City, which came back with the defense verdict. Well, what we've subsequently learned is that uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, who published the approve article, which is Merck's predicate for this 18-month litigation hypothesis, has subsequently issued a correction. And I want to point out that that's a, a term of art. A correction is a, is a, a very rare uh, step for a, a leading medical jur- journal to enter into where they actually go back in and change the verbiage of a previously published article. And in the previously published approved article, this 18-month hypothesis was proposed, and the New England Journal of Medicine editors, based upon subsequent evidence that they were given through the media and from Merck's own internal studies and documents, stated that that verbiage should be redacted from the initial article and that the 18-month hypothesis uh, has no leg to stand on. How was Merck complicit in in withholding that information? Well, I think you should ask the Merck lawyers that. Uh, You know, from the outside, though, it seemed to me that there was a calculated risk by Merck to, we're going to, if we can convince uh, judges that nothing happens for 18 months, that would eliminate a substantial amount of these of the litigation against them. And they took that gamble, and we think, too, and I don't know true motives of everybody, but uh, clearly certain documents were not forwarded uh, that indicated a much different pattern. To get the New England Journal uh, to issue this sort of a rebuke of an article that was written in their peer-reviewed article, that was published uh, is a major step, you know, in terms of the scientific community. Those articles are supposed to be relied upon by physicians and others with respect to the state of the science. So when you have something that is so glaring of a defect, um, maybe mistakenly, uh, but, you know, some of us have a different view, this clearly indicates a very bad pattern of practice. And I think that was Judge Higby's analysis. Here, the judge felt that bad science published by Merck that was untrue got in the way of a just result there. Because when you have all these cases, obviously you want to try and start bringing some of them to finality. 
it was a big step for the judge to say, listen, I'm going to grant a new trial here because I don't think justice was done in light of uh, Merck's activities. So I think uh, the word huge that Paul just indicated is, uh, is very accurate in terms of several things. Now, many people who are on this drug for a shorter period of time, a substantial period of time, six months, etc., uh, they are now given scientific background for the fact that their heart attack very well could be related to the use of the drug. Whereas before, Merck's position, unless it were a year and a half, uh, there could be no possible relationship. So that's, uh, that's the import, really, of Judge Higby's finding of uh, overturning that verdict. There's been some movement uh, with Merck to try and delay, I guess, each one of these cases and, and try them individually. Do you think that that's going to continue? Will there be a change in the future in terms of consolidating the cases? What's the prospects of, of how the procedural aspect of the cases are going to move forward? Well, I can answer this from the MDL standpoint and perhaps, Tom, from the California standpoint. Judge Fallon has indicated that he is going to try a case on September 11th, another case in October, another case in November, and then obviously the uh, damages portion of the Barnett case in January or February, and then he is going to call the parties together and, in his words, see where we stand. And in uh, our way of interpreting that, that means that either we're going to look at collectively settling these cases or he is going to ship them back out to the uh, individual federal jurisdictions uh, where the cases came from and have them set for trial. So if Merck thinks that they'll be able to try, try these cases, cherry-pick out one case to try a month uh, in perpetuity, they're sadly mistaken. And once the, the uh, litigation deluge of trials begins after Judge Fallon uh, sends back all of the uh, federal cases, I just do not see Merck being able to withstand. And you know the, you know, the braggadocio will try every single case um, is not working for Merck. If you take all the cases uh, that have become uh, where the verdicts have uh, been announced, including the defense verdicts, and divide that by the number of trials, the and translate that over the whole field, the number is astronomical. So it seems you know the the policy has effects both ways. If in fact Merck is going to be unsuccessful in half of the cases that it tries, that's a massacre for Merck. You know, you don't, what happens is this, you don't reduce your exposure. In fact, you increase your exposure. Because now, maybe instead of having 15,000 cases, maybe you only have 7,500. But those cases, instead of being worth a million dollars, are now going to be looked at as being worth much, much more. So, you know, this... um, this policy from a lot of the corporate people I know uh, seems to be somewhat unusual. And in fact, as they, as plaintiff lawyers keep getting better educated and as we get the opportunity to see Judge Higsby's ruling and the New England Journal changing its tune and all those things that are happening, none of this has been good news for Merck. None of it. Um, the slight respite they had in the California case, which was a, not a very good case, I don't think should give Merck a heck of a lot of solace at night saying, boy, we're really doing the right thing now. And the fact of the matter is, you know, 
I think how you are judged as a company is the same way as how you're judged as a person. First of all, everybody screws up in life. There's no question about it. But the thing that determines who's decent and who isn't is how do people respond after they've screwed up. In other words, there's no question that this drug is a bad drug. There's no question that Merck's documents set forth the fact that they knew it was a bad drug. They knew it could cause heart attack. There's one document in there that indicates that before they sold the first tablet of Vioxx, that maybe they should be given aspirin with it or the amount of heart attacks would be so great it would kill the drug. So these, this company knew of the problem, and it got caught. Now then, you would think that if any of us were involved in this sort of activity where we had done the wrong thing, that you would respond to it in a fashion of saying, okay, let's go through these cases, let's determine which ones are probably caused by Vioxx, which ones are not, and let's be decent to the people. Let's do the right thing. We've caused an awful lot of sadness across this country. If, if one of the FDA people is, is accurate, his estimate was there were 88,000 heart attacks caused by this drug and more than 30,000 deaths caused by the drug. If that, in fact, is accurate, or if half of that is accurate, this company owes an awful lot to the people it harmed. And uh, so far, at least, they certainly don't seem to be willing to try to step up to the table to correct their bad conduct. Well, we've reached the point in our program where it's time to take a short break and hear from our commercial sponsors. We'll be right back after this. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. 
That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And I'm Bob Ambrogi. We're talking with two attorneys involved uh, representing plaintiffs in Vioxx litigation around the country. We have Paul Sizemore from Beasley Allen and Tom Girardi from Girardi Keese. Merck's uh, two Merck's attorneys were supposed to have been on the show, but the company's PR firm decided at the last minute not to allow them to appear. Well, Bob, there's been a lot said from uh, both sides about in these cases about spinning science, and I think that's probably one of the reasons the cases are going to trial because there's uh, an argument about whether there's definitive evidence either way. Uh, Tom, Paul, what's your reaction to that that thought? Uh, this is Paul. You know, Craig, Bob, I don't think there's any doubt that the uh, scientific evidence proves that there is a significant increased risk of heart attacks and strokes on Vioxx. Anybody that uses uh, Vioxx, anybody that uses uh, Celebrex, as the recent literature that's come out in the New England Journal of Medicine and uh, the journal Circulation has proven, there is a significant increased risk of having a heart attack if you use the drug. Merck's own studies prove this. This is no scientific spin. This is no plaintiff lawyer spin, as Merck likes to, to call it. This is Merck internal scientific studies that unequivocally show an increased risk of suffering a heart attack and stroke if you take Vioxx. No spin. Well, maybe I should ask the question the other way, Paul. How is it that Merck's attorneys are spinning the science? Merck's attorneys, and you guys picked up on probably the, the uh, best example of that, and Judge Higby has pointed out uh, more eloquently than I can how they spun the 18-month litigation hypothesis into a defense verdict in the Humiston case. We know that the 18-month stuff is a bunch of junk. It's not even a hypothesis anymore. It's not a theory. It has been debunked. The New England Journal of Medicine felt so strongly enough about this that the editors themselves came out with two expressions of concern and then a correction on this issue when they saw how Merck and the Merck paid attorneys have gone out and spun this issue into defense verdicts. So I understand that one of the uh, Vioxx trials that was supposed to start next week in New Jersey uh, was withdrawn by the plaintiff, but but there's another case scheduled to go forward uh, under Judge Fallon. I wonder if you could set the stage for us a little bit on on the issues involved in that case and how they might differ from the cases that have gone to trial so far. The next case in the MDL is going to be a defense pick, and Tom alluded to this uh, terminology earlier on, and what we've done in the MDL is um, the first case that that, w- that was tried was essentially by agreement. The last case that was tried, the Barnett case, was a plaintiff pick case. The next case coming up will be a defense pick case. And obviously, if there's any type of usage issue or if there's a, a character issue whatsoever with the uh, plaintiff, that is the type of case that the defense wants to try. And I think Tom makes a made a very good point earlier on where it, it seems to me, in, in my humble opinion, that Merck cares less about whether or not they win the case actually on the merits of whether Vioxx is a bad drug or Vioxx actually caused this heart attack. They want to win just so they can have the publicity of a win. It doesn't matter if the person actually used Vioxx or not, or if there's some type of character issue that they think they can focus upon to, to uh, taint the jury. They want a win due to the publicity, and 
this is going to be a tough case in the MDL, and if the plaintiffs can actually prevail in a defense pick case, uh, it would be uh, a fantastic win for the plaintiff's bar. Well, they tell you in law school that if there's uh, going to be damaging testimony that you want to confront it up front and, and, uh, and deal with it uh, before it gets put on the, on the table. So what's, what, is the, what are the uh, weaknesses in this case, and, and what's the response to them? Uh, this particular case, I really can't comment at this point in time on, on what the weaknesses are because I don't know how the defense is going to present those. And frankly, uh, gentlemen, I, I don't want to uh, let the cat out of the bag if there are some issues that the defense hadn't picked up on. They want to do their work for them. But at the end, at the end of the day, I believe that those cases with substantial use of people that don't have overwhelming prior problems, uh, although those people, I think, are more susceptible to harm when you take something like Vioxx, from a jury standpoint, if somebody is a couple hundred pounds overweight or has had a bunch of heart attacks before or whatever, those people probably should be the last people on Vioxx because they're more susceptible to harm. But those cases become easier for a juror to say, well, I don't think the Vioxx caused it. So the fact of the matter is if the plaintiffs win some of those cases, uh, this could be very damaging to Merck. We believe that people who were on Vioxx for a substantial period of time uh, more than, you know, several, six months or so, who didn't have a huge prior uh, problem, medical problem, which would be uh, something that would explain a heart attack, will probably win their cases to a uh, 85 percentile sort of win. We think that some of those cases that have these complicating factors maybe will be lost. But if the plaintiffs start winning a couple of those, to all of a sudden take cases that a good lawyer would want to compromise because of these other problems, if Merck converts those into being cases that are jurors are giving substantial amount of money, then it's going to be a very difficult uh, problem for Merck to ever try and settle these cases. Well, Tom and Paul, we've reached the end of our program. Uh, we're sorry that we didn't get the uh, Merck attorneys on with you, but perhaps when they agree to come on, we'll give you a call again. But for the meantime, we'd like to get your contact information so that if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, they can do that. My name is uh, Tom Girardi. Uh, the email address is tgirardi at girardikeys, K-E-E-S-E dot com. And I'm Paul Sizemore, and my email address is paul.sizemore, S-I-Z-E-M-O-R-E, at BeasleyAllen, B-E-A-S-L-E-Y-A-L-L-E-N.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Great. Well, we'd thank like to you. thank both of you for being on the show today and appreciate your uh, flexibility in, in accommodating some changes in our schedule, and uh, we hope to have you on again to talk about these cases some more. My hey, pleasure. thanks, Bob and Craig, and say hello to the Merck boys uh, next time you talk to them for us. <laughs> we'll do that. Bye now. Bye-bye. Well, Craig, we will uh, continue to follow this issue on Coast to Coast and uh, look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.